So thank you all for coming to church today. And before we listen to the word of God, I want us to make our declarations, um, our declaration of fruitfulness for today, if you will. So let's say together, the eternal God is our refuge. He opens rivers in desolate heights. The Lord makes the wilderness a pool of water. The Lord God is my sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. Therefore, I delight myself in him. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall be fresh and flourishing. Though the earth be shaken, the name of the Lord is my strong tower. By faith, I affirm that in Christ alone is my salvation. In him I live and move and have my being. It is written, the righteous are like a tree planted by the waters, bearing fruits in its season. So I boldly declare that as for me, my God has made me exceedingly fruitful. In this season, my spirit bears fruits of righteousness. My talents make way for me. My, with my hands, I will plant, I will build, I will harvest day by day and step by step in Jesus' name. And let's all say amen. 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 We want to thank God for today. Today, I believe that we are all going to be blessed. I'm going to be doing a two-part series. And uh, please, if you miss today's, make sure you listen to it because it will bless you with what I'm going to talk about next week. And you are all also being reminded that after today's service, we will be eating. We are finished fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And this is a season for us to refresh ourselves by food. Amen. So we would, after this, we'll just move out here. Those of you who are online, if you want to quickly come, you are invited. Come, make sure that you're a part of what God is doing here, and let's celebrate. And, uh, and uh, you come with your mask, come with everything. We, we are in camp, come really protected. We are all making sure that we observe all the protocols that we need to here uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk on a subject titled, Nothing Wasted. Everybody say, Nothing Wasted. Nothing wasted, nothing wasted. And this is the first part. And I'm going to be using two verses uh, from the book of John, chapter 6 and verse 12. And I, I use the NIV, uh, ver, uh, the, the New International Version. And then we are also going to be reading Romans 8.28, which is a very popular scripture for all of us. So I'll be reading Romans 6.12, which says that when they had all had enough to eat he said to his disciples gather the pieces that are left over let nothing be wasted everybody say let nothing be wasted so you realize that god is not a wasteful person god makes sure that whatever he puts into you whatever he incorporates in your purpose he ensures that no part of it 
is ever wasted. Amen. And the second part says that Romans 8.28, which we all know, is that, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Amen. So today, when we finish and we have time, we'll just, we'll just worship a little bit. I hope we do. If we don't, we would push it to another time. But it comforts me to, to know that God does not waste anything. Every piece that is broken, every piece that is incomplete or whole in the collections of our lives is made beautiful and is made significant in God's hands. There is nothing that escapes the notice of God. Everything matters to him. Every single bit. And not only does, does it matter, but if you are his child, he promises that every part of your life will be used for your good and for his glory. Amen. So our scriptural passages today they really confirm that God uses our grief, he uses our tears, he uses our joy, he uses our losses, he uses our gains, he uses our trials, he uses our tragedies, he uses our triumphs, and he puts it all together. He shakes them together so that the final result that comes out of all of this is good. Amen. Nothing is wasted. As a, as a pastor, I hear a lot of stories from people suggesting maybe to me that they gave all their time to God. I hear people say that they, they, they devoted their time, their attention, everything to God, like their marriage, maybe to a friend, to a spouse, to a job, to a church, to a project, etc. And it all ended up in a waste of about one or two or three or five years or ten years of their time. But I want to encourage you today that nothing, nothing that a child of purpose has going on in his life will ever be a waste. This message today that I'm ministering to you is to encourage you to stop the crying, to stop the tears, to stop the mourning about where you have been. Where you have been is your history. Because a lot of us grieve over our past. So that, I mean, you can forget about all the things which maybe brought you to your knees at a, a time in your life and really crippled you. So that you can focus on where God is taking you to in the name of Jesus. I want to just illustrate that in the life of an eagle, how many of you know eagle? Eagle is your friend. I mean, you've seen eagle before. I mean, you have, you have how many of you have eagle as a pet? Okay, there's about, there's about two people, but it's, it's fine. So there comes, there comes a time in the life of a parent eagle um, with its eaglets. Something strange happens. That the parent eagle decides that enough is enough. And then it begins to stir the nest. The reason why it begins to stir the nest is that it ensures that it disturbs the place of comfort for the baby eagles. So that they can move out of their comfort zone, their place of comfort. They can grow up 
and they can rise to the height of their calling. They were supposed to fly. Every eagle is supposed to soar and to fly. But when they become so sedentary and they just become fixed at a particular place in their lives where there is no movement, the mother eagle or the parent eagle says enough and then begins to ruffle the nest. It begins to stir the nest so that they can discover their potential and begin to fly. So it is for us to know that it can be quite disturbing when you watch this. Because sometimes it looks like they are not ready. Sometimes they try and then maybe they, they fall. They are not able to do it the way that they should. But the intention of the parent eagle is for them to spread their possibilities and soar above their limitations and adversities. And in life, God also does the same thing to us. There comes a time in our lives when God also stares the nest of our lives so that we can become uncomfortable in our places of comfort because he knows that there is a place for us to get to so that we can fly like the spiritual or physical eagles or academic eagles or whatever kind of eagle that we, are, we were created to be. So today I will be using the story of a very humble man in the Bible called Moses to bring about an illustration or to illustrate something to you, or to bring out a certain clear understanding of what you are supposed to do, you are supposed to know, and you are supposed to understand about your divine purpose. So the story of Moses will bring out some lessons which we can apply to our lives to help us fulfill God's divine purpose for our lives. Everybody say amen. So these are seven things, seven things that we all should know seven things we all need to know we all should understand about our divine purposes this is the first one the first one is if something is not working in your life it does not always mean that you are under satanic attack something is not working you know it, and uh, you, you find out that maybe all your friends, they went through that place and it worked and then it didn't work for you. It doesn't mean that the demons are at work. Most of the times, where we come from, like Africans, when things don't work for us, it can only be demonic. It can only be a satanic, I mean, uh, attack on our lives. But sometimes, like the eagle does with his eaglets, I was saying earlier that God stirs the nest of our lives because the purpose of a thing or a person in your life is completed. So when maybe you have stuck around something for so long, and God knows that either the thing or the purpose of, or, or, or the, or that thing is, is ended in your life, God has got to do something about it, because in order for you to move to the next level, he has got to ensure that he plucks you away from that thing. And sometimes it's so uncomfortable that when it happens, people will just assign it to demons. God stares the nest of our lives. And God has to move on you radically uh, uh, to something else that he has planned for you. A higher thing that he has planned for you. And there is nothing more frustrating for God when he's trying desperately to keep or raise something. For, uh, uh, let me say it properly. There's nothing more desperate and I mean, frustrating for God when he, he wants to kill something in your life. But you are trying desperately to keep that thing alive. Maybe it's a friend. 
You have moved with the friend for six years, seven years, and God says, oh, it's the time for you to move on. And maybe one day the person wakes up, I don't want to become your friend again. But, I mean, it's God who is doing it, but you don't know. But you are also praying and fasting that the person will become your friend again. God becomes very frustrated with that. He wants to move you on. You have to have the liquidity of thought. And you also have to have the, what I call the nimbleness of your mind so that you can transition from how you once saw yourself into where God is calling you. The fact is, it is easier to lay back in your, your comfortable nest of life like what I refer to as a sedentary eaglet. You just lie down, you are just fixed at one spot because you know that when it comes to soaring or flying, it becomes a very difficult thing to do. Flying out, out of that comfort zone requires work and because of that, people just want to remain where they are. So God will do all it takes if you're a child of purpose. God will do all it takes to make you uncomfortable. It is not demonic. But God wants to make you uncomfortable, to force you out of your comfort zone, to get you to the next level of your life. It does not always mean, I'm saying it again, that you are under, I'm saying it's not always, some of them it can be say, satanic, but I'm saying it does not always mean that you are under satanic attack. Because sometimes, some of these things, when God is trying to move you to a higher level, some of us get to that place, where you begin, the tongues. I bind, I lose, I cast a Holy Ghost fire. But then God just folds his hand and he's smiling and he's, he's shaking his head because he knows he's doing it for your own good. He knows he wants to establish something in life. God will continue to deprive you of your nourishment. The nourishment that keeps you in your comfort zone until you get it. Until you get what he's trying to do in your life so that he can move you into another dimension. Let's say amen. The second point is that people will always attack you for what you did. Everybody say what you did. What you did, what you did. Listen to me. Your past will follow you. In my language, they say nanka. Your past will follow you regardless of the new things that God is doing in your life. Sometimes God elevates you. You become a married person. Your marriage is beautiful. But somebody somewhere in the system knows that 10 years ago, hey, you were moving from place to place. And people were getting nourishment from you. And somebody will come and say it one day to your father and say, hey, he will even mention you by your nickname. The nickname that actually connotes the kind of life we were living. And then you are saying, hey, 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 now, now things have changed. Listen, whatever you did will follow you. Understand that. The president of the United States, when somebody wants to become a president, before that, they will not talk about his life. But the day he says, I want to be president, President Obama, oh, he's a beautiful black man, he's this, then somebody says, hey, this guy, when he was in school, he was smoking weed. So many years ago, it was what, what he did. So don't ever assume that because God elevates you to a new dimension, a new level in life, your life is cleansed, Holy Ghost has come, everything is brand new, that people will not attack you. They will. And it's not demonic. It's because of what you did. So there are consequences for your actions. 
Don't ever think that because of where God has taken you to, your past will be buried forever. It is a lie. Your past will come. It will follow you. Haven't you heard of men of God preaching and, uh, and it, all of a sudden somebody brings a story from somewhere and says, hey, this man, the things that he was, he has changed. He's doing miracles. He's doing a lot of things, but people are bringing his past. It's because of what he did. That's why you have got to be careful what you do. Sometimes you've just got to be careful. Maybe today say, I'm a young person. I can dress and let maybe two of my uh, three quarters of my breast just show out. It's nothing. I mean, it is my body. It is myself, etc., etc. And then 10 years ago, you want to just ascend to a certain position and somebody brings that image out. Three quarters. They just bring it out like that. They say, oh, why? But now I've changed. I'm doing No. What you did will follow you. That's why you've got to be careful the things you do. If you ever think, uh, most of the time this is what we hear in this country, that if you ever think that you have the liberty to do anything without being judged, because it is your, it is your body, others also have the liberty to say anything or talk about things that you have done because it is their mouth. That's the thing. You can say, hey, no, 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 it is also my mouth. Let me talk. So while you are doing it, be, just be mindful of that. You have your liberties and others also have their liberties. Be careful what you do. You have got to live with what you did all your life. That's why I'm saying it again, be careful what you do now. So let me help you understand this better with the story of Moses. Let's all turn our Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 2. And we are going to be reading from verses 11 to 15. Exodus chapter 2. I have my past. You have your past. Every one of us has his past. Just be careful what you have done before. Some of you think that you are so secretive. Listen, your secret will come out. <laughs> Amen. Exodus 2. Because what Moses did here in this story was a secret. He thought nobody saw him, but this is what happened. One day, Exodus 2, 11 to 15. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out where his own people were, and he watched them at their hard labor. Then he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew person, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian, and he hid him in the sand. The next day he went out, and he saw two Hebrews fighting. And he asked the one in the wrong, now why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? This was after all, not the same day. And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian who were bringing his past? Then Moses was afraid. And he thought, this is what he said, he said, what I did. Everybody say what I did. So what I did must have become known. Listen, he thought he had done something. He thought it was in the secret. Maybe people didn't know it publicly. He had killed somebody, buried a person in the sun. Now he was in a new environment, a new situation. Life was moving on. He was trying to be like a judge and a leader for the people of, 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 of Israel. And the Bible says that the person said that, are you thinking of killing us or killing me the same way you killed the Egyptian? What he did had come out. When Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh 
and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. So the point I'm trying to make today is that Moses left his luxurious environment in Egypt because he was living in the palace of a king. And he escaped into a dry, barren place with nothing to offer. The median place was in the wilderness. There was nothing there. But while he was running from his past, the Bible says that he ran into his purpose. While he was running from it, and sometimes that's what happens to a lot of us. While we are trying to escape our past, you don't know, but God is the one who is just ruffling the nest. He's the one who is just tearing the nest. And while you are attempting to do that, bam, you end up in your purpose. So that's why it's not, it's not a matter of trying to bind and to lose. Some of the situations, if the Lord gives you the ability to descend and you know it's a demon, go ahead. But there are some of the things in your life, all that you've got to pray is that, Oh Lord, let your will be done in my life. And then out of all that confusion and pain and hurt and all the toil, God will cause you while you are running from your past to end up in your purpose for your life. And that's what happened to Moses. So he runs into a new identity that he had never had before. But that was the breaking of a new dawn for Moses. Sometimes when we are doing all it takes to run away from God, because a lot of us do, run away from God certain days, certain times, because those times you don't want to remember God again. But behind the scenes, God might be working to get you to miraculously stumble into him. I remember, when I just said, I remember a story. We were going to a certain place to encourage a certain brother. The brother was like running away from himself. He was, I mean, we felt that, myself and my wife, I said, okay, let's go. Let's make sure that we, we encourage him and so that, I mean, he, he knows that he's, he's a child of God and these are the things that he's supposed to do. So we picked up ourselves, we sat in the car, and we decided to move towards where this brother lived. And so while we were going, we didn't know that this brother had also planned that today, that interaction between pastor and me, it will never come on. That was his plan. We didn't know. So there is a particular route. When anybody is coming to the house with GPS, there's a particular route that the GPS will just take the person along. So that we discover, so that we use that route. It will never use any other one apart from that route. So while he was planning this thing, he said, okay, since they'll be using, they don't know the house well, and we have, they just know the address, they'll be using the GPS, I will make sure that they never meet me. He decided to use, he ran away from his past. He decided to use another route where the GPS will never use. So while we also come, we didn't know about this situation. When the GPS got to where we were supposed to turn, by a strange means, my wife was the one driving, by a strange means, she got there and she didn't turn there and she would continue going. And I became very upset that ah, we want to get to this place early. This is the route you are supposed to go. She did, sometimes women, they have some intuition. We just have to allow them to flow in their own thing because she didn't even mind me. And she said, okay, if the, normally when the GPS misses an exit, it will still help you to use another one. So I said, okay, now I became calm. Then we went on that exit. We went on that route. When we got there, the escape route of this brother, that's where we met him, right there. And said, so, oh, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. But we, we had caught him. 
So sometimes when you are running away from your past, it will surprise you that you run away into your destiny. Or you run into your destiny. You run from your past, but because God knows that you're a child of purpose, you, he will, you will do all it takes, but you still end up in his arms. And that's the beauty about the love of God. So Moses ran into a new identity. He miraculously stumbled into God while he was running away. The third point I want to raise is on identity. Identity crisis is an issue for many believers. Identity crisis. Like Moses, a lot of us go through life trying to discover who we really are. You know, as we are growing up, some people try to go through so, so many things. You want to be an author, you want to be this, you want to be a very strong Christian. You say, no, I want to be this, I want to be something else. Moses' identity was always a problem. Why? Because he was a Hebrew boy. But he did not grow up with the Hebrew people. He was raised with the Egyptians. It looks like at a point he was like too Hebrew to be Egyptian. And at a time in his life, he was like too Egyptian to be a Hebrew guy. And pretty much like many of us whose backgrounds and lives are complicated due to identity crisis. There are many of us, I mean, our children, I mean, I am fully African, I'm fully Ghanaian, I only came here. But then our children, sometimes, some of them were born here, some of them were also brought here very young. And it gets to a certain time in their lives that uh, the American culture is so pervasive and so strong that they begin to pick up not only the way the Americans speak, but they also pick up their lifestyle. And then it becomes a problem for the African parents and African mamas and African papas. Because, first of all, we don't, they, they are speaking the language and say, hey, speak it the way we do. Or sometimes, we, we just notice that change is taking place right before our eyes. Do I have a witness in the house? The children have changed, though. They are speaking something, they are talking somewhere, and they are, the things they laugh about, we are angry about. Pretty much, a lot of them. Sometimes, I mean, we stand here and I'm saying, God, God, God. My children will be saying, God, God, God. <laughs> Identity crisis. I, we mention the words, listen, when I'm standing here to preach, it's not easy. Because I have the people who are the marking scheme people who are sitting in the congregation. When I get home, daddy, it is not God, it is God. It is not this word, it is that. They, they tell me, and I pick it because, and sometimes Reverend Arthur says that, yeah, we know that this is it, but in America, because he doesn't want trouble. He's, all, he's, he's also getting a, 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 something from the child as well. Correcting the family. Identity, Moses was in that same situation. His story is like most of us, whose life resumes... <coughs> Whose life resumes have to be censored? Some of us. You, you want to talk to people who have a testimony, but they only have the courage to tell you only half of their testimony. Because if they tell you the full testimony, hey, it will be breaking news. So the testimony is half. Because if they tell you everything in it, some of you will be running helter-skelter. Because there are things within the thing that are too complicated for them. So for security reasons, they'll keep part of the testimony to themselves. So somebody has come to tell a testimony in front of a church, it's not a full one. 
If the person opens the real book, you see that, hey, this person too, he or she has lived a life before. Somebody has three children, but can only testify about two. Because if he gives the testimony about the third one, breaking news. People say, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. And people are hiding. The point I'm making is that people have got to hide things because of the issue of identity. What people would term as political, politically right, I mean, they cannot actually be in sync with that as far as their lives are concerned. The story about some of the things that we have, supposed being our, our testimony, is complicated. Why? Due to extenuating circumstances. The fact is that what these people have testimonies don't realize is that all the other stuff which these people think or you think people think are not good or you think are not good for public consumption, they all come together and it helps to shape who you are regarding your identity. Don't go through life letting people only know about the good part of your life. If you are telling only the good part, but there are some things when people hear, they'll be shocked, all right. But I want you to know that when you put the bad, you put the good, you put the ugly, everything together, God shakes it and makes your story beautiful. Don't go around with half stories. So let me talk. The, the fourth point is around that. So the fourth point is that tell the full story, save a life. That's the point I made. Tell the full story and save a life. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because how many of you have ever heard maybe um, people come up or you hear people say that, oh, with a smile on their faces, they said, oh, I have been happily married for 20 years. I've been happily married for 30 years. I've been happily married for 50 years. How many of you have heard that thing before? Well, I've got news for you. It is a lie. Complete lie. The moment the term happily comes in, if you have, you, what I normally say is that I have been married for 26 years, 25 years. End of story. But as for the happily, it is a lie. Ask, ask my brother. They'll say 20, 30, 40, I've got news for it. It is not true at all. They are lying. Because the people are giving half the testimony. They are giving you the good part. They left out all the days that they did not talk. Man and woman, they did not talk for one week. They left out all the times about infidelity on one person's part. It was left. They left out all the parts where somebody, one person was yelling at the other person. Who, who the heck are you? They, they left out all those parts. They left out the parts about you confusing the children about what is going on between mom and dad. You, they left out all those parts. They left out all the tough and difficult times. Happily married for 32 years. Stop it. There were issues. So tell people that, the reason why I'm saying is that that's, that's why we have this as, 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 the, as a theme, what we are talking about on this point. Tell the full story and save a life. Because sometimes if you don't tell the full story, 32 years, happily married, no problem, it gives, listen, marriage is not a joke. It gives people the impression that when you are in a relationship, when you are in a marriage, there are no problems. 
So the first day there's a problem, and knocks at your door, boom, you say, I am out. You are done. Because the impression that you had from Pastor this and Pastor that suggests that it's a beautiful thing. It's a happy thing. It's a very sweet thing. Sweet it is. But there are issues. Ask Reverend Atta and, um, and, and, and Mrs. Atta that through all their years in marriage, it has been cool. As cool as their faces are, issues. One day, I'll be standing here to tell my full story. I've been telling the half story myself. One day, I'll tell the full story about our 26 or 25 years. So that when you step into it, you know that the thing is not a joke. You have got to work on it. And even if you don't agree with me about the 32 years happily married thing, I know, ask people who have been in it for a couple of years, and they tried, and they checked out in a couple of years, and they'll tell you that, yeah, they are the ones who speak the truth. They'll tell you that there are issues in the thing. So they will agree with me that this thing I'm saying about happily married for 20, it is, I mean, that it is, it is a fallacy. They'll, they'll confirm that it is true because they were in it for two years, three years, and they couldn't, and they checked out. And they'll tell you the truth. They'll come even to come and say, that, wow. If you are listening, you say, wow, this pastor is wild. How did he know this? Um, uh, this pastor speaking the truth. I, I, and I'm speaking the truth to you right now because it bothers me because if all people here is a partial testimony, and the perfect stuff that they see on TV, celebrities, they are, they are going to think that this journey is all rosy, is all glorious, and suddenly just one day, they realize that the thing is a tough thing. When the storms arise, they think that there is something wrong, but there's nothing wrong. And because they think there is something wrong, they give up. Let people know the reality in marriage, the reality of the Christian walk. Let people know let people know the reality of life. Help people to expect the ups and the downs and the roller coaster things that go on in life. Let people understand that. And watch the way you complain about the bad stuff in your life as well. Because most often, it's part of the package. Every the bad, the good, all the nasty things, it's all part of the pa package. The other time I put a statement on my WhatsApp status, and this is what I, I, I really wrote out. I said, let's kill the mindset that makes us believe that every setback is the doing of the devil. Let's kill it so that we can work on our lives in a way that will bring about development and growth. Amen. The fifth point I want to make is that the wilderness is part of our journey. The wilderness is part of our journey. God will put you in a new place. God will put you in a new environment. God will place you in a new terrain where you have never been before. It's even in the physical and, and, uh, and uh, what the, the regular lives we live. God does that to us. In the cause of the fulfillment of our purpose, this is bound to happen to all of us. So Moses being thrown into the wilderness was an example of things that we are all going to encounter as God's people. Moses faced that when he fled the palace of Pharaoh. He did not know about survival techniques in the wilderness. He was raised in a palace. It's like some of you, some of you were raised in the cities back home. Some of you were raised, I know, I mean back home. Some of you were raised in the cities. Some of you were also raised in the, in the background that is in the village and the, in the rural life. We were all raised from different places. And sometimes when some of the city people, they go to the villages, 
They don't seem to know their left from their right. When it comes to the culture, when it comes to traditional practices. I remember, uh, she'll be a niece of mine, but on the, on the in-law side, she came from the UK, and then the parents, the dad was taking her around, greeting people, and the greeting from those of you who are in Liberia, Syria, you know, I don't know whether you do that too, but when we have uh, an event or we have a funeral or things like that, when we are greeting, we, we start greeting from where? From the right to the left. Am I right? Culturally. So the father took the daughter and they started greeting from right because when she came, she was just going straight to go and greet the one in the middle. And the father brought her to the beginning and they greeted her from right all the way to the left side. And then they felt that that was the end. About 10 minutes later, a new group of people came and the father said that, let us go and greet them. And the lady said that, again, we just finished greeting all of them. The dad said, yes, again. Culturally, we do certain things that doesn't make sense to a lot of our young ones. And uh, in where we come from, if you do some of these things, they'll make a statement to you that if you are not very careful, you have to buy a goat, you have to slaughter the goat, and then you have to appease the people uh, with that for, making, for doing the wrong thing, for not doing it right, even as an adult. And they, they, they really insist on some of these things so that we can know the culture. Uh, some people move happily from one place, like a church, a job, a position, a marriage to another, only to find out that there is no place which is cool. So God keeps taking us to new terrains, new places. And uh, the new places are for us to learn new things, for us to understand new things, for us to come up with a concept of, uh, so that we can grow. So it, it could be tough. So Moses, when he left the palace of a king of Egypt, he was taken into the wilderness. And some of us will be taken to new churches, new jobs, new positions, into a new marriage, into a new relationship, into a new location, into a new office, into a new state, to another place. And you find out that it's not easy. It's tough. It's difficult in a new environment. But sometimes that is God's own way of keeping you in the wilderness like he did for Moses. And his only way was to humble him and get him to adjust to the new embassy. To a new environment. Some of us do not know how to adjust to new things. We want things to be the same. If you want to change today, they will fight you. But there are certain environments that require of us to change. Amen. The sixth point I want to make today is that humble yourself anytime you step into a new arena. Everybody say humble. Yeah, you've got to be careful because being successful in one area does not mean that you'll be successful in all areas. There are some people in my, where we come from, they call them champion atta. They, they are strong in one area and they spread it to everywhere, wherever they go. Maybe God has picked you to be strong in the area of, of, of physics. It doesn't mean that you are strong in the area of biology or other in the, in the economics or anything. It's just that God has gifted you with the ability to be strong in one area. So when you move into a new area, be humble enough to learn. But you see some people, once they have succeeded in area A, when they stand in area B, the champions, they'll start putting their strength only, only to crash at the end of the day. Humble yourself. Anytime you step into a new arena, learn how to always become a student again in new terrains. Always. In your wilderness. 
So Moses, he went to the wilderness with a pharaoh, with the, with the palace of pharaoh mentality. Because he lived in, the, in, in, in a palace. He lived where people served him. He lived where he was always the Lord. He was always giving rules and instructions. But by the time we get to Exodus 18, Moses had made himself a jack of all trade. So let's turn our Bible to the book of Exodus, chapter 18. And we'll read from verses 13 to 19, the first part of 19. And let's see what Moses was doing. Exodus 18, 13 to 19. The Bible says, The next day, Moses took his seat. Moses took his seat as judge for the people. So already he has made himself a champion. He, he took his seat as judge of the people. Everybody stood around him from morning to evening. He was a boss. In the palace, it was a similar thing. People at his service and everything. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is it that you are doing? What is this that you are doing? Why do you alone sit as judge? Why all these people around you come from morning to evening? And Moses answered him, because the people come to seek me to see God's will. Because the people come to me to see God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, they bring it to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Then Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. He told him point blank that you are going about this wrongly. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. Your work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Now listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. So Moses was trying to behave like a superman in a new environment. He was a new place using his skills from where he was in the pharaohs in, in the palace of pharaoh but jethro said don't do that listen now to me and i'll give you some advice and may god be with you you need to learn how to listen when god takes you to a new place some of you go to new jobs some of you go to new environments some of you you, you are sent to a new position you were you were on this level and god took you to a new position and you don't want to listen to anybody you think that the same skills that you used Skill set that you had on the lower level will be the same skill set that you need at a higher level. No. Try to listen anytime. Humble yourself anytime you get to a new place. Because already you have a good foundation. But when you humble yourself, you can build upon that foundation that God has already given to you. And you need to ask the Spirit to lead you. So, because even when Jethro advised Moses, he didn't leave God out. He said, and may God, what did he say? May God be with you. You need to ask the Spirit of God to lead you. And because of that, you know, I, I am grateful to God for the ministers that we have in this church. The pastors. Talk about Reverend Arthur. Talk about Pastor Eunice. You talk about Pastor Joe. I thank God for their lives. Sometimes I think that they are too submissive. And they are too humble. And sometimes I literally get tired of them trying to find out if it's okay to make every little move. Oh, is it okay to, is it okay to do, is it, can we do that? Can we, I say, hey. But, but I should thank God because that's not how it works in every church. In some of the churches, somebody can come from a new place, land there, and the next day that person is sitting on top of the pastor's head. 
and say, hey, where I was, they didn't do things that way. He even called the pastor up and start laying hands and then uh, and trying to kick. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, but I thank God and God bless you for that. God bless. It, it feels great to work with people like that. You know, this is the test for pride. The test for pride is this. Is that can you do what you've got to do where God has placed you to learn what you have got to learn? Can you do it? God takes you to a new place. Can you do what God has, 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 has got to do in your life where he has placed you so that you can move from one level to the other? Because if you don't pass the test, you will never complete the class. God will bring you back. You are supposed, that's why you're supposed to humble yourself. Why did it take the Israelites 40 years? Because we're repeating the same mistakes. So God had to ensure that you have to pass this test to the point that even Moses, he didn't pass the test. He couldn't get to the land, the promised land at all. And do you know why? Uh, uh, one day I'll talk about that. They say what? Moses was supposed to be speaking to a rock. Before that, God had instructed him to use a rod to strike a rock. And then water came out. And then, but God was trying to teach us a lesson for the future. And Moses messed it up. God was saying that Jesus Christ is a rock. Jesus Christ had to be struck. He had to be struck and hit only one time for the water and the blood to flow out of him. And the next time he was not supposed to go through that process of crucifixion again by hitting the rock. He was supposed to speak to the rock and feed the people. But Moses laid a wrong precedent by saying that no, because of his anger, he struck the rock again. And he gave a bad a template for what God was going to do in our future. And God said that no, you, you, you've messed this whole thing up. You've messed the hope because Jesus Christ, who is the rock of our salvation, he's supposed to be crucified once. And that crucifixion is supposed to establish a connection with us once and for all so that we can have free access to communicate with him. You have messed it. You have messed because you think that the only way of getting us back to the road again is to crucify Christ again. And he said, no way. That's just a digression. I just wanted to speak on something else on that. But the point is that he did not pass his test. And because of that, God had to keep him from getting to the promised land. You are going to take the test over and over again if you don't get it right. It took Moses spending some time in the wilderness, looking after sheep. When you read Exodus 3, 1, he was looking after sheep, somebody in the palace. And some of you, if you are asked to look after sheep after being in the palace, say, ah, God forbid. I'm the head and not the tail. <laughs> you, you say, God forbid. I mean, I'm not going to do that. God has made me uh, at the top and not beneath. I'm supposed to be a lender, not a... But you say so many things. But God had to teach him that. You need, I know you have come from a palace, but you need to look after sheep. From palace to looking after sheep for him to figure things out. There are times you are going to go through stages of your life where you feel that your real skills are being wasted. It will feel like you're not being used to your highest potential. And if you are not careful, you'll be secretly seeing yourself as a failure because you don't see yourself operating in the way you dreamed that you would but don't forget this because it might be god taking you through the wilderness it might be god 
telling you that that part of your life is not wasted. Keep it in because that stage of your life is God preparing you. Can I hear an amen? The final point I want to make for today is that God is a master of suddenly. Everybody say suddenly. One thing about God is that he does things. Sometimes when you are just wandering about the world, not knowing what to do, suddenly something will happen in your life that changes your life for good. Suddenly you hear a voice. Suddenly God will give you direction. Suddenly you get an epiphany. God will reveal himself to you in a way like you have never seen before. And maybe you got it in just a split second. But if it had not been God, you could have used about 40 years. Suddenly. Everybody say suddenly. He's the God of suddenly. At a time where Moses probably thought he was at the lowest point in his life. God showed up suddenly. If you turn your Bible to the book of Exodus, chapter 3, and verse 2. Exodus 3, 2 says that, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. You know, he wasn't expecting that. What he saw was strange. What he saw was weird. What he saw was something he had never seen before. There was a flame of fire which was supposed to be burning a bush, but the Bible says that the bush was not consumed. God appeared to him in a way he had never seen before. When we read Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17, the Bible says, And suddenly a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If you read Acts chapter 2 and verse 2, the Bible says that, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. When you read Luke chapter 2 and verse 13, the Bible says that, and suddenly there was an angel or a multitude of angels of the heavenly host who were praising God and saying, sometimes I'm telling you that as a child of God, your life will take a great miraculous turn. Something that you never saw was coming. Just like Moses suddenly appeared. I'm sure some of you, this is going to be my second part though, but I'm sure some of you when you are, you are walking on the streets of Newark or Middletown or Bear, and suddenly in the middle of a bush, there is a burning bush. God is revealing himself to you. Some of you it will be helter-skelter. How many of you will go and face the bush and say, speak to me, Lord? I'm saying that sometimes unusual things will happen in our lives that we don't have to run away from. But we need to see that this is God appearing to me so that we can face it and see the glory of God manifested in our lives. Suddenly, no, what sometimes God does is that he, he, sometimes he comes and there are no gradual process or processes leading to that. There is no evolution that leads to a, a revolution. Suddenly, one email will change your life. Suddenly, you just receive an email from somewhere, you read the contents, your life is changed. Suddenly, one phone call, which calls you for a certain interview, changes your life. Suddenly, you meet a person. That's why sometimes you have to be careful not to look at appearances of people and just discard them. Somebody you meet, somebody who says something to you today, can drop a word in your life, regardless of how the person looks, that will change your life forever. 
Abraham, one day he saw three strange people. The Bible didn't describe them. But in himself, he knew that this must be a divine connection. And because he saw it as that, he became blessed with the miracle of the birth of Isaac. He could have said that, hey, me, I don't deal, deal with people. Oh. I don't deal with strange, strange people like that. Get out. In some of the Nigerians would say, oh, get, get, get out of here. You know, and just that he would have just missed the miracle of his life. No gradual process, no evolution, but God takes you there. Sometimes it's just one life partner, one wife, one husband will come into your life. Finished. One person. So what God will be doing, he'll be taking you through phases for you to learn. Those phases are for you to be able to know that God is humbling you. God is taking you through a process. Maybe the first one didn't work. Maybe the second one didn't work. But God is bringing something your way. Maybe you went through phase and maybe you are telling yourself that you are giving up. You are telling yourself that it can't happen to me anymore. I cannot have any beauty in a relationship. One life partner. One connection. And that is it. God settles it in your life. Maybe it's just a mega breakthrough that God brings your way. I mean, just, just, you just woke up and it was right there. It's my prayer. That the children of God in this church, individually, you have such an encounter in your lives. That your whole life will be transformed in a major way. So, beloved, let's get ready. Because God suddenly is about to change your life. God is about to shake you loose from the wilderness situation. God is about to shake you loose from the prison that holds you. God is about to suddenly appear in your life. And bring about a transformation, shall we pray, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So wherever you are, I just want you to believe that God is a God of suddenly. Some of you are going through your wilderness situation. Some of you are actually thinking about giving up. Some of you think that it can't happen to me again. Some of you are thinking that... It's, 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 I can't get the same results that this person is getting. Some of you want to just hang the gloves. But today God is coming your way to give you a miracle of a lifetime. He's about to open to you something new. You're about to encounter something new. You're about to experience this epiphany. Something that God is introducing like you have never seen before. God is about to work on this for you. And for those of you who are probably listening and connecting and you have never ever given your life to Jesus, it's an opportunity for you to give your life to Jesus. That's the first stage. When you encounter God in this way, then these things will apply to you. Nothing in your life will be wasted. And God will make sure that all things will work together for your good because you love him and because you connected to him. So you can say this prayer with me this morning. That, Father, I thank you for the work that you did through Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. I admit that I am a sinner. And today, I accept Jesus Christ into my life as my Lord, as my Savior. Transform me and make me a brand new person. And help me by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
to live a new life. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.